0: So a quick survey, and you can just raise your hands for this as a church, I won't get you to stand up, there is no right or wrong, okay? None of us are gonna laugh at you, none of us are gonna beat you up outside, there's no schoolmaster waiting, but I'd love you to be honest in this, okay? So firstly, um, show of hands, how many of you have physically held a Bible before in your hand? Just held it, how many of you? Okay. Perfect. For some people in the world, that would be no because they aren't in our country, they're not allowed, um, or whatever else reason. Okay, second one. How many of you have physically read from a Bible before? Physically read. Okay, perfect. How many of you have read from the Bible in the past year? There might be some of you don't put your hands up, maybe you're visiting here, perfect, hands down. Maybe you're visiting here, maybe you're not a Christ follower, maybe you're exploring faith, so don't feel shy. If you're like, no, I haven't read the Bible, why should I read the Bible? I hope after today there might be some more excitement for that. How many of you read the Bible in the past three months? No, still a few of you and some honest ones, well done. Um, How many of you have read the Bible in the last month? Ah, a few, good honesty guys, well done, I love it. How many of you read the Bible in the past week? How many of you have read the Bible at least five times this past week? My hand also won't be up. Ah, very good honesty. Thank you, everyone. How many of you bring a physical Bible to church on Sunday? A physical Bible regularly bring it. Okay, about a quarter of you, if less. How many of you have a Bible app on your phone? Very interesting, okay, you guys rock. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for the long-standing members of Harvest who are very honest. Um, I'm gonna have some words with you afterwards, but no, no, it was great. So we're in part two, and what we wanna look at, Ian covered last week, why do we read the Bible? And secondly, can we read it as someone who isn't a theologian, isn't someone who studied the Bible academically? Can we, is it possible? And today I wanna look at Um, How do we read the Bible? So what's amazing, I just wanted to quickly briefly do with what um, Ian shared on why we read the Bible. And this has really just hit home to me again afresh this week. It's God's word, it's truth, it's life, it's the instruction manual that unlocks the purpose in this life and beyond. It's the doorway into an encounter with the living God because it's his word. The Bible isn't God himself. I might get in trouble for saying that. Um, He is not the pages of our Bible, so this isn't God. I don't pray to a Bible. He is not the Bible himself, um, so it's not him himself, but he speaks to you and I in and through the Bible. It's why Jesus said to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures, but you don't realize that they testify about me. The scriptures are pointing towards the physical living God. He is called the word because he is the exact representation of scripture. It's about him, it's for him, it's through him. And so we read the Bible to know him, not to build our knowledge about him, but to know him. Very easy for us to read scripture to get to know about someone from a distance. But the point of scripture is to know King Jesus. That's why we read the Bible. And secondly, it looked at what makes you and I qualified to read and understand the Bible. We're all able to read, understand, interpret, because the Lord is the one who helps us. The Lord is the one who illuminates scripture to us. He's the one who shows himself to us. We don't have to be theologians or professors to encounter the God in the Bible. They may be helpful and we can learn so much from people who studied a lot more of scripture than us, but we don't have to be some special person, some special man of God or professor to hear God's word and then pass it on to others, it's open, to all of us. It's not supposed to be a super complicated book um, that's difficult for us to understand, It's difficult for you and I, whether we're new to faith or not, to understand who God is. We can all encounter Him. And today, we're gonna look a bit at how. And I understand there's many different ways to read the Bible. I'm gonna give some pointers, some guidelines. There'll be some things that I leave out. There'll be some things that I do cover. But I hope that this just gives you some helpful areas into how to read the Bible. And so to get started, I'm gonna use one passage. The reason why I've chosen this passage is because It has some different things in it that um, we could misunderstand, and I hope it's gonna give us a little bit of a framework. So if we click over to that, thanks, Kev. So how should we read the Bible? And this is the passage we're gonna look at. We're gonna dive in a bit more in depth. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there, or you can look on your phones, if you have it on your phone. Now, great crowds were traveling with him. So he turned, and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So I chose that passage specifically for some of what we can learn from it. And so we're gonna look at that in a short bit. But here are some steps on how we can read the Bible. The first starting point, before you even open scripture, before you even look at a passage in the Bible, our first step needs to be, and you can click to it, Kev, next one, perfect, is that we need to read the Bible with a heart to know Christ. If that's not your starting point to reading scripture, then best you don't read it because then you will read it for academic knowledge. You will read it in a sense of then being able to have knowledge and puff yourself up and then point to other people who don't know what you know. The starting point to wanting to read scripture is to, with a heart to know Christ. You see, reading the Bible doesn't automatically make you and I become more like Jesus. In fact, we can become less like Jesus by reading the Bible. But just reading the Bible automatically won't make you and I like Jesus. Only inviting God to transform our hearts by what we read will make a change in our lives. But it has to start with inviting Him to change us and transform us. You can be an angry, unloving person and know scripture back to front, or you can be a person who is the fragrance of Christ to everyone you come come into contact with and know the Bible off by heart. The difference between the two is your desire in them. If one is just knowledge, stop reading. If one is because you want to know Jesus, read, and you'll become like him as you read his word. It's about our heart's desire when we read. So before you read, remember that God's with you, just as he is with us right now in this room. He's with you 24-7, and ask him to speak to you. If you're gonna open up the Bible before you read each time, say, God, I realize you're with me and you're alive. Speak to me through what I read. Show me more of yourself through what I read. Be expectant to connect with the King of kings and the Lord of lords and ask him for faith to help you believe in what you read and for him to transform you from the inside out. You've gotta ask him that. So we didn't do it at the start, but let's pray right now as we look at the simple, uh, the simple um, passage. Lord Jesus, Just as we're together as your people, we're together on different journeys. Father, as we look at this passage today, as we look at what it means to read your word and apply it and for it to make us more like you. I ask Holy Spirit that you would touch us in in our spirits. I ask that you would transform what needs to be transformed. I ask that you would open up areas of our hearts that have been closed before to you. But I ask that as we read, Scripture would come alive because it is your absolute truth. It is your word that you would you would speak to us as we look at your word. Amen. Perfect. So we did that now. You can do that yourself. So that's the first one. Ask Jesus to give you a heart to know him before you read. Second one, when is a good time to read the Bible? Well, we're doing it together now. Obviously, but this is what I would say. I would say every day at a time and a place that you can be alone without interruptions. That's what we're aiming for. When we come to Christ followers, that's what we're aiming for. Every day at a time and place that we can be alone without interruptions. Now that time and place can vary from day to day and the without interruptions if possible. So I'd put in those two things. That's what we're aiming for is regularly and alone. That may not happen. It may not be possible at all. But that is what we're aiming for. It doesn't matter if this is before everyone in the house wakes up. That was uh, what Jesus did when he came. He said he he took himself off early in the morning while it was still dark. So he set a great example. But it doesn't matter then. It doesn't matter if you're at boarding school and you have five minutes in your cubicle, pretend you're on the toilet or be on the toilet, and that's the only time you have. I know, speaking to many um, to many boarders, that was the only time in the early years before they had their cubicles that they could be alone with Jesus. Yes, you can sitting on your bed, but you've got other guys talking and jabbering. A lot of them said, that's the only time. So I quickly take myself off, extended toilet break. That's what I do, spend five minutes with God because that's the only time that they had. Maybe it's a few minutes before you go to bed. Maybe it's 10 minutes before work. Maybe it's listening to an audio Bible on your way to work as you drive. I'll talk about that a bit later. The principle is start somewhere and aim for those two. Aim for regularly, aim for alone. If you can't make both of those happen, don't beat yourself up, but just aim for it. Aim for it. And you cannot use the excuse, I am too busy. I'm very sorry, church. You cannot use the excuse that you're too busy to spend time with God. How? Well, you will always make time for that which is most valuable to you. And I would plead with you to make time for God's word. It will transform your life. It will, but you cannot use the excuse that you're too busy, particularly if, if you can make time for Facebook, If you can make time for WhatsApp, if you can make time to look at the news, local or external, if you can make time to watch any TV at all, you have time available for Jesus. Now if you come to me and you tell me, Craig, I don't have Facebook, I don't have WhatsApp, I don't even have a phone, I never look at the news, I don't have a TV, then we'll talk. We'll work out where in your day, but I would say you probably have more time than the rest of us, (laughs) because you'll be sitting going, what do I fill all my time with? So you cannot use the excuse that you have no time. Now, if you're a wife with young kids, as uh, my dear wife is and many others here at the church, you need to tell your husband, I need 15 minutes by myself uninterrupted with the kids. And if your husband is a Christ follower, he will say yes. If he says no, it's because he doesn't care about Jesus, so I'm very sorry about that. You gotta pray for him. But if your husband says, um, it's something that a Christ following husband would automatically say yes to. That's the gauge. Now, the question for you as a wife is, you need to be honest. Because if you're like, I just need 15 minutes to spend time with Jesus, and then you go into a room, you shut the door, and you're like, oh yes, 15 minutes for Facebook, <laughs> 15 minutes to watch stuff, 15 minutes to just browse the internet, 15 minutes by yourself, then you would be lying. Then be honest and say, I need 15 minutes for myself not to spend time with Jesus, and I hope that you'd still be a great husband and let you, <laughs> let you have that time. But, there is always ways to spend time doing that which we believe is most important. And I would plead with you as a church, this is most important. Of all the busy things you could be doing in life, this is the one thing that must not be stopped. This is the thing that must be started. Okay, you also need to remember, um, and this is the when, that there is a spiritual battle involved. Satan does not want you to know God's word. He does not want you to spend time in God's presence. So you're probably not gonna feel like reading the Bible every day. You are probably not gonna feel like you have energy. It might just feel energy sapping. Oh my goodness, just the thought of picking up the Bible fills me with exhaustion. That's Satan. Don't go, oh, it's just because I'm having a tiring day. There is a spiritual battle at work because you definitely have energy to watch TV. I know I do. You definitely have energy to browse something, and it's because we all say it's just meaningless or whatever else. It's Satan's lie. Of course he wants to tell us that it's gonna be work to get to know God. We have to fight against that. So understand you are in a battle each and every day to walk closely with Christ. Build up your spiritual man, fight against the enemy. Reading the Bible will be a battle of the will. Until you create a habit. Until you create a habit. And when you create a habit and it's part of your life, do you know what you'll find? That you'll start to crave it. Because I can tell you that the more that you read God's word and the more you encounter the living God, the more you'll want it. So yes, there's a sense of exercise and eating healthily. It's hard to start, and then once you get going, it becomes part of your life. There's definitely that part. I'd say what happens when it comes to scripture reading is firstly, there's a lot more of a spiritual battle from Satan than there is doing exercise. Probably there's still some battle from him, but there's a greater battle when it comes to reading God's word. The second one is is that what you'll find as you build the habit is you'll crave more and more of God's word. So build those great habits. Aim for every day. Aim for at a time when you can be alone but work towards it. It's not gonna happen overnight, work towards it. Okay, perfect. Next one, how long should I read for? Now these may seem simple, but I would say to you, if you're sitting here going, I know all of this stuff before and you've been a Christ follower for 30 or 40 years, then as long as you are doing absolutely everything I tell you here, you can get up and walk out and leave. It's no problem. (laughs) If your heart is to know Jesus and you are just every day, then no problem, you might find it normal. I think it will still be a good reminder for you. But how um, much should I read? Well, today we're gonna look at three verses. That's all we're going to look at today. But there's no hard and fast rule. Reading the Bible for one minute or one verse and thinking about that during the day and applying it to your life could have far greater value than reading three chapters and you apply zero to your life. Could have far greater impact. So it's not so much about how much you read, it's about the impact that it has. Actually reading God's word daily and letting it impact your life is what's most important but I can guarantee that what you'll find, as I shared earlier, is the more that you read and you apply it to your life, the more you'll want to read and apply it to your life because God will be speaking to you. And because he's life, that's what he does. He changes us from the inside out. But start what's manageable to you. If you've never read the Bible before, maybe you're visiting or you're new to reading the Bible, I'd say start with one verse. Start with one verse. We're look at where and ask God to speak to you through that one verse and then take it from there. If you're someone who reads loads, but you don't think you're applying it to your life, cancel the loads, get back to one verse, apply it to your life, and then start to read more. It's about application of what Jesus does. Great, that's how much. Where should I start? Well, today I've chosen the passage, but there's so many different ways to read the Bible. Some people pick randomly. I probably wouldn't recommend it because you might get across something really weird and it's out of context. But I know some people are like, Lord Jesus, please speak to me. And I've done this before, lots of times. I just wouldn't recommend it. Please speak to me. Boom. These were David's sons who were born to him in Hebron. Amnon was the first born by Ahinoam of Jezreel. Daniel was the second born by Abigail of Carmel. Lord Jesus, please speak to me through this verse today. Well, I know David was a good guy, so okay, yes, help me to be more like David. Hebron, maybe that's a firstborn. Okay, well, I'll pray for my firstborn daughter. Um, Daniel was born second. Oh, that was my cousin's son. It's called Daniel. I think God's showing me I should speak. I should, maybe I should WhatsApp. Okay, so you can do that, and I know God has spoken to people like that before. I just wouldn't always recommend it, but he can speak to you in that way. You might just have some difficulty translating. Okay, so you can pick at, um, some people start with the Gospels, which is the biographies of Jesus' life. Uh, Others read through the Bible um, in a certain period of time, one year or three year Bible. Others start at Genesis, and others read with the help of a devotional. If someone asked me, and they were saying, Craig, I'd love to start reading the Bible. I haven't read it for months or years or I've never ever read it before. I would probably recommend you to start with the Gospels. Why would I recommend that? Well, firstly, it's the biographies of Jesus' life, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Uh, Secondly, because the Bible points to Christ and is all about Christ, I think it's a great starting point to see what he was like, what God is like, what he was like on earth, and then you build out the rest from there. So that's what I'd say if you've never read before, um, and we're looking at Luke today, but. I would look at that. As a youngster, I ran into lots of difficulty because I was always like, great, I wanna read the Bible and I'm starting at Genesis because I wanna start at the start. And Genesis was okay because there'd be creation and then I'd get through, through a few different things and it was quite interesting. Exodus was pretty cool because they were escaping out of Egypt and going around and around. Then I'd start to get into Leviticus and Deuteronomy and i definitely start to fizzle because Leviticus got a bit heavy. It was rules and regulations. And usually that's where I got to and I probably did that every year for like 15 years. Lord Jesus, I'm gonna get through the Bible. I'm gonna do it. And I'm ashamed to say I probably got to Leviticus 15 or something like that, um, and that's where I stopped. So that's probably not the wisest way, and the reason is is because the Bible isn't written Genesis to Revelation, That's not how it's written. In fact, you need to see the Bible as a library of 66 books. That's what it is. So you don't look at the Bible and go, oh, great. It's done in order of date, and it's done all the way through through Genesis to Revelation, because it's not. So how it is, is imagine yourself in your mind, looking at the Bible, imagine 66 books on your bookshelf. And then you've got some books which are history. You've got other books which are poetry. You've got other books that are biographies. You've got others that are letters written to churches in a certain time. But to start to see the Bible as a library of books, not as a single book. Yes, it's been put together, but see it as a library that will really help you get the most out of it. I'd also say read more scripture than what other people say about Scripture. You see, we live in a culture where there are millions and millions and millions of books written by Christ followers, excellent books. But what happens is, is that very soon we start to read more about what other people say about Scripture than about what God says to us as we read scripture ourselves. So definitely have that, 100% have that. Read from other people, learn from other people, but just make sure that you're reading scripture for yourself, letting God speak to you through scripture more than what other people say about it. That's, that's a challenge I would give to you. Okay, Uh, in line with that, um, you don't have to click through yet. Yeah, you can leave it on that, that's fine. What about translations of the Bible? Today I'm using one called CSB, but there are many great translations of the Bible. Lots of brilliant translations, all with a different focus, with a different purpose. I would probably recommend having a few translations of the Bible, um, and I would recommend um, myself. I love CSB, ESV, NKJV, The New King James. Uh, You'll be able to listen to this again, NASB. There's many different ones, but I'd say have selection different people write differently what we have are translations of translations but the the csb and esv which i love they bring a healthy balance between accuracy to the original languages and also readability in english we can understand them so if you want more than just the Gospels at the present or would like a more structured plan, and again, I'll put this out, there's an amazing Bible reading plan called the McChaney Bible reading plan. You print it out on a PDF, basically takes you through the Bible in a year. I think you read the New Testament twice and the Old Testament once, or you can extend it to three years. That's great. Um, there's the YouVersion Bible app. Some of you may know that. Brilliant app. There's the ESV and CSB apps. Um, there's the Bible in one year. Nicky Gumbel takes you through in a year with some writing from him. There's the email Bible. Bible, which Byron over there, raise your hand quickly, um, has finished. Byron has done an email Bible. So it takes you through the Bible in a year and it just shoots you the scripture on your email every day. So if you want to sign up for that, we're all on email, a lot of us, a lot of the time. And if you go, well actually that's the best way for me to read the Bible, get in touch with Byron, you'll put you on the list. It just comes to you every single day. If you don't like it that day, delete. I'm joking, you should read it every day. Um, But that's a brilliant thing, getting the, the Bible on your email, which so many of us are looking at often, it can prompt you to read more. So get in touch with Byron if you need that as well. Perfect, so that's a bit of where we should start. What about the next one? With a passion for proper, correct interpretation. Now there's two key tasks in the Bible. Big words, I didn't do a lot of English at school, exegesis and hermeneutics. Big words. Exegesis and hermeneutics, don't be scared. Exegesis is the careful, thorough study of scripture so that we get to get down to what was the writer trying to say. That's the first part. What was the writer who wrote, obviously God's word, inspired by God, trying to say? That's the first part. And then after that we go down to hermeneutics, which was how do we apply that to us in 2019? The first step is vital, because we get the first step wrong, we're going to give a wrong application, and we're going to read things into scripture that were never supposed to be there in the first place. So that's how you move on. If we don't do that properly, we'll get ourselves confused. The prosperity movement is based, um, and this is talking about basically, if you, for those of you who don't know, if you follow Jesus, he'll give you lots of money on earth. That's basically it. Now, the problem with that is that those scriptures used are taken out of context. An example would be, this is just a very quick example, um, in 3 John, right at the end, you don't necessarily have to turn your, but in 3 John, um, John's writing the letter to the elders, and he says, dear friend, I pray that you are prospering in every way and are in good health. Now, interestingly enough, if you go back to the original Greek of that word prospering, it's very specific to your soul prospering. But that verse has been used for years and years of, it's just so obvious, guys. Come to God and he wants to give you money, plenty of money. It's just not a correct interpretation of what John, who was writing, ever meant. That's why exegesis is so important. We'll incorrectly translate texts and many of the cults that are around today Cults is a word for people who've taken scripture and have twisted it away from Christianity or because of incorrect exegesis, not going back to what the text meant and then applying it to our lives, starting the other way around. So in reading the Bible, we can easily do this ourselves. It's so easy to slip into taking what we like and leaving what we don't. Oof, that passage just makes me feel so fluffy on the inside. But that book of the Bible, there is no ways I'm reading it because that's just, that's just a bit freaky and a bit nasty. If we start to do that, we start to miss out on who the God of the whole Bible is. So it's so important that we do that. We can knowingly or unknowingly twist the meaning of Scripture to suit our desires maybe because the biblical meaning is rather shocking to us because of our upbringing or our cultural bias, or maybe that we know that if we put into practice what that verse says, we're gonna have to make a lot of changes to how we're living. Those reasons can stop us from getting out of scripture who God really is and what he wants to do in our lives. Some of you may know there's a verse in the Bible where it says, when two or three are gathered in my name, I'm with them. Now this is used in a lot of prayer meetings. I've heard this a lot of the time. People just saying, God, it's just so amazing. Um, there's, There's three of us here right now. There's even five of us. And because of that, we just know that you're here with us as we pray. Now God is there with us as we pray. It's just that the verse is nothing to do with prayer at all. In fact, the passage is about discipline. The passage is when someone in the church is not following God, two or three of you or two of you take him alongside to the pastor and you say, listen, what you're doing is wrong. We need to sort this out. And because two or three of you are there and you're all together witnessing it, it's a healthy place to sort out someone who's not living the right way. So that's the context. It's easy for us to just go, oh, great verse. I'm going to use that for my prayer meeting coming up. It's just that has nothing to do with what the author wanted to say incorrect exegesis. Yes, God is with us. I'm not saying it's the end of the world. If you've done it, you don't need to ask for forgiveness. I'm sure God forgives you. Um, But the principle is just important that we know what was the author trying to say. Um, Sarah and I were talking about this this morning, but think of people not wanting to read the story of Job. Some of you may have heard the story of Job. Quite a tough book to read. Basically, Satan comes to God and says, listen, God, there's this amazing guy called Job awesome guy he loves you guess what he's only loving you because everything's going well for him and I can guarantee you that if things start to go badly for him God he will not follow you anymore now Satan always has to ask God permission right he's under God God's the one in charge so God says do you know what I know that he's going to continue to follow me it doesn't matter what gets thrown at him he will follow me to the end because he loves me And that's how the story of Job goes, and it's a difficult book. Now, I know a number of people who have said, and there's a number of writers as well on the internet who will say, Job isn't really part of the Bible. Like, Job was just a book that was written, but that person's not really biblical. They weren't really listening to God. It's not about a person. Job's a man-made character. He's not real. He never existed. It's kind of just all fictional. But why? Because it's a difficult book to read. But if we don't read, Job, for what it is, if we don't read the tough passages in Scripture, maybe what we're gonna look at just now, we'll miss out on getting the most out of who God is. The difficult things, the things we don't understand, we've gotta push in. The things we don't know, we've gotta dive deeper. We've gotta to explore to get the richness of who God is to you and I. So don't shy away from the hard areas of Scripture because they scare you. Don't shy away from Leviticus. It may look really boring. Lots of rules and regulations. lets you get tattoos, but um, (laughs) don't shy away from it. Why? Because what Leviticus shows you and I is praise God, we don't have to follow regulation after regulation after regulation to try and get rid of our sin. We have Jesus who's come. He's been the ultimate payment. There's stuff to learn in every scripture. Last one, husbands and wives passage in Ephesians. We live in a culture where all of scriptural relationships, whether it's man and woman, whether it's husband and wife, are all being twisted in society. It's so easy for us to buy into cultural bias because what the Bible says about how life operates is different. We need to make a call of, does the Bible dictate how we live? or does the culture in which we live dictate how we live? And you will never experience God in his fullness if you buy into culture versus buying into the Bible. So let's read the whole Bible with complete openness to God speaking to us. We need to lay aside our personal perspectives. We need to lay aside what other people have said to us. Read the Bible for what God wants to say to you. That's how we'll know him. So a quick one, we've probably got about five five minutes left. I want us to look at this passage, quickly take us on a journey through it. So if you click over to that with proper interpretation. Okay, so this is what I do when I'm reading scripture. I think that's helpful for all of us is firstly to ask four questions. Again, you'll be able to listen to this, but who wrote the book? Obviously God did, but he wrote through people. Who wrote it? When was it written? Interesting things to know. Why was it written? Why was it even written? And what are some of the key features? Now, if you've got a study Bible, most great study Bibles will have this at the start of books. If you don't have a study Bible, chat to me, buy one, get a great study Bible. So important for you to learn more of scripture. But who wrote it? Now this book was written by Luke. He was a doctor. He probably wasn't a Jew. He was probably a Gentile. So he wasn't initially accepted. He was friends of Paul and others. He was very analytical as a character. He's a very analytical character. Okay, next one. When was it written? This is so important because what was happening at that time? What was happening? What was happening in that day and age? What was going on at that time? So this was probably written in the AD 70s or 80s, very soon after Jesus died. Jesus died in the AD 30s. So this is very soon after Jesus died. So you can see what's happening. There would have been the early church and and it was very soon after that happened. What about why was it written? Well, Luke's really clear. He actually tells you. He says, I wrote this book to strengthen the faith of believers in Luke one. And finally, what are some key features? I'm going through this quickly, but you can do this every book you write. So important that we do it. Some of the key features are, he was a doctor, he was an analyst, he went through things very clearly. He wrote down things exactly as they happened. That was just his character, so you can pick that up as he writes. Now for this particular passage, what's so important to do is you look before and you look after. What's happening, what's Jesus doing in the passage? Now Jesus has just been sharing with both uh, the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, and the people. He's been sharing a little bit about, and you can look back in your Bible about heaven and what it's going to be like, who's going to be invited, people you don't expect you're going to see in heaven. And straight after this passage, he talks about the prodigal son, about how he is a loving father who runs hard after his kids. Smack bang in the middle is this. So there's huge crowds around him. You need to immerse yourself in scripture. Work out what did it feel like? What was it like? He would have been walking from town to town, thousands of people following him. So I sometimes imagine what would it be like for Jesus to walk around Bordel Village? He probably wasn't in Bordel Village. He was probably in Chitanguiza or in the rural area. Anyway, what would it have been like? What was it like to have this man who people were captivated? They hung on every single word that he said. Get to grips with what was it like as you're reading? And then it comes to this great passage. So I chose this specifically, and you'll see. This is where it's important that we get proper context. Now great crowds were traveling with him, so he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own, wait a minute, there's no ways that God would tell me. God loves family, God loves me. Why would he tell me to hate my mom and dad, to hate my wife, to hate my kids, and follow him? So go, is that the kind of God that I'm following? Is that really what he's like? Is that actually what the passage is saying? Would Jesus really say that? That's where it's important that we properly find out what was he trying to say, what did those sorts of words words mean. So you'd go, hmm, that's pretty strange. Let me go to the original meaning of the word hate. Is it is it exactly meaning the same as to me in English? What exactly is it like? So you would research that, the Greek word mese, you could find this on the internet for free, Interlinear Bibles, Bible Hub, there's loads of ways to find this out. You would go, this is so interesting. That Greek word, it means to hate, it means to detest, it means to love less than something. It means to esteem less than something. And did it get used anywhere else in the Bible? Well actually, yes, in Genesis, the Hebrew equivalent, it talks about um, these two ladies, Rachel and Leah, and it says, people hated Leah but loved Rachel. That's quite strange, why in that passage do they do that? What they're saying is, in the passage, if you look at the word, no, 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 Rachel, they actually just loved more than Leah. She was loved less. She was esteemed less than was Rachel. So you go, okay, Jesus, That makes sense now. What you're saying, if anyone comes to me and he does not love less or esteem less, his father and his mother, his wife and his children, his brothers and sisters, think of himself less, he can't be my disciple. So okay, Jesus, I get what you were saying to the people. You were saying that if we're gonna be Christ followers, it means loving you more than anything else in our lives. That makes sense. Okay, now I understand what he's saying properly. You'd read a bit further, and you'd say, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Cross, what's he talking about? What what does he mean, bearing your cross? Okay, well, what happened in that day and age? Well, there was a thing called crucifixion. That's how Romans would kill people. That's how they would kill people. So what does it mean to bear your own cross? What is Jesus saying? Well, he's saying, in a sense, when people took on a cross, they were basically walking to their death. They basically um, were heading towards their execution, as it were, so what could that possibly mean? Okay, God, if I'm following you to my death, yes, in a physical sense, I might be persecuted, I might die for my faith, but also, it's about dying to myself. I'm picking up everything I've believed, and I'm not going one direction, I'm going another direction. Okay, that makes sense, now I understand that. So I can start to get what the passage is all about. So important that we understand what was being said. So now we've done that, okay, perfect. How am I gonna apply that to my life in 2019? That's great, God, I've worked out what you were saying to those people, but those people were different to me. Now if the Bible's timeless, if the Bible's God's word, it applies as it did then exactly the same to you and I. So how do we apply it? It was written a long time ago, 80s, 70s, 80s. How do we apply it to 2019? Well, I think a lot of it, Fairly straightforward now that we understand it. Jesus is saying if you wanna be a Christ follower, Craig, it means that I, Jesus, need to be a priority above everything else. When you look at your life, the definition of being a Christ follower and being a disciple of mine, a student of mine, is that I am more valuable to you than your mom and dad and your kids, than your husband or wife, and your comforts than what you want in life that's the definition of being a Christ follower so now I sit and go okay Lord shoo. am I prepared for that? is that am I prepared to be a Christ follower then? this passage is entitled counting the cost am, am I prepared or would I rather say God you're not worth it to me I'm going to live life on my own now is he saying that you ignore your husband or wife or mom or dad not a, of course he doesn't because the rest of scripture says husbands love their wives It says, parents love your kids, but do you esteem them more or less than Jesus? Do you love them more or less than Jesus? So now you go, okay, Lord, show me in my heart. Show me what's wrong. Now he starts to transform you. Now he starts to work on your life. That part where it says, them, but even your own life. That talks about comforts and personal plans. Okay, Jesus, are you more important to me than what I possess really if it came down to it are you more important to me than my plans for my life am I prepared to put my plans on hold for your plans see Jesus now as you do hermeneutics properly you apply to yourself he starts to challenge you from the inside out he starts to transform you and then what about that cross thing Lord, that's definitely not scripture. Okay, let me just quickly cancel out 27. Um, that's definitely not in the Bible. Let me just scribble it out. I'm gonna rip it out so I just don't have to read it. No, we need to read it so that we get the most out of scripture. Am I prepared to take up my cross? We've just seen Boko Haram kill two translators. We've seen that happen. Um, now, last week or two weeks ago, Ian shared a bit on that. We've seen the realities of what it means to be persecuted for Christ. We've seen it, so I go, okay. Lord, am I prepared for that? Is what you did for me on the cross enough for the struggles I might face in this lifetime? Are you enough? If someone came to me like that lady um, from the Columbine tragedy and came up and put a gun to my head and said, if you deny Jesus, that's okay, you can live. But if you love Jesus, I'm gonna shoot you. Does he mean that much to me? No, he doesn't. Okay, Lord, show me. Show me the wonder of the cross. Show me the wonder of what you did for me and please change my heart. We start to let him impact. But but someone always told me, I, I, I gave my life to Christ at a youth rally and someone said to me that, you know, come to Jesus and all your wildest dreams come true. This doesn't seem like, this doesn't seem like Jesus. Oh wait, let me find that verse about the wildest dreams. I'm sure the youth pastor told me one day. Oh my goodness, there's nothing like that in the Bible oh, oh, that's what Jesus said. Wow, let me change my thinking on what scripture is all about. The rest of the passage, you can read it further, goes on to drive home that point. But in proper hermeneutics, when you're reading the Bible, you'd be saying, Lord Jesus, please let those words change my heart. Whatever you were saying to them, you're saying to me. Now that I understand what you were saying, please help me to apply that to my life. It looked strange initially, now I understand. I've got to grips with it, I understand. But please help me to apply it to my life. That's often the harder part. So the last point, which I put up there, and then I'll pray. So we need to read scripture. Uh, You can click over, thanks, Kev. With the desire to allow God to shape our lives. Most of all, we want to see our reading of the Bible change our lives and make us more like Jesus. If it's not doing that, we shouldn't be reading it. But if we read with those points over there, I can guarantee you that your life will start to look like Jesus. And people will start to ask you questions. They'll start to say, why is it that you look so different? Why is it that you care about things that are so very different? You see, we want God's gospel light to smash into our lives. We wanna read it so we experience internal transformation. And as we do that, there will be a dramatic external impact to everyone we come into contact with. Our girls come home so often and they're singing great Bibles, things that they're learning. They're singing about, read your Bible, pray every day and you'll grow, grow, grow. They're reading about this little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine. If we read scripture as God's word and let it change our hearts, we will shine and we will grow. We'll experience purpose and the world will know that Jesus is alive. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we've, we've covered lots. For some of us, things that maybe we've heard a million times before. For some of us, things that are new and fresh and we're, we're hanging on every word. One thing I know, Lord Jesus, is that all of us regardless how long we've known, you can grow in the area of getting life change out of your word. Every one of us can learn more and learn afresh to hang on every word of scripture, and most importantly, to apply to our lives. Lord Jesus, please save us as a church family from having knowledge without life change. Father, save us from being religious people, who can tell the 66 books of the Bible, who can recite verses, but then when people look at our lives, go, that person is the furthest thing from Jesus Christ. Please save us from that. Father, I ask as as a church, as brothers and sisters in Christ, that that whether we're starting with one verse or whether we're reading through your word in a year, I ask, Lord Jesus, that we would be changed and we would be transformed and that we would dive into the easy things and the tough things, that we would would grapple with the things that don't make sense to us, but that you would be our plumb line, you would be our cornerstone as we sang, you would be the one that we hang on every word, you would be the one who shapes our life, you would be the one who instructs us, and ultimately I know you'll be the one who makes us more like yourself. Pray this in your amazing name. Amen.